0: Normally, you would have John Dennis and Jerry Callahan. This morning, you have Dale Arnold and Steve Buckley filling in. Joining us right now is uh, a guy who I've told you is the best hockey play-by-play announcer I've ever heard. Uh, Doc Emmerich joins us on the AT&T Hotline, brought to you by AT&T 4G LTE, with speeds up to 10 times faster than 3G AT&T Rethink Possible. Good morning, Doc.
1: Hey, good morning, Dale. I understand from your producer, Steve, that you had the same thought I did about all of the power... That was missing, and the lights off in the city today. It was like Escape from New York with Kurt Russell. I I I, I was
0: picturing Snake Plissken, you know, driving yeah, through the streets I know. of Boston. All you needed
1: was Ernest Borgnine in the taxi cab.
0: <laughs> Bad news for other teams in the Eastern Conference because Sidney Crosby's going to make his return tomorrow night against the New York Rangers. And I think you guys have shifted things around, so you're going to be doing the game, right?
1: Yeah, I'm not sure. Our crew is not. I think what we are doing is, uh, the last I knew, the plan was to take the, uh, one of the existing feeds rather than try to, to uh, do that, but uh, I'm not speaking officially for the network there. I know that so far I haven't heard that I'm to head into New York from here, and there was a crew there last night, but it is going to be carried there, and I know NHL Network is carrying it as well as um, you know the, the stations in Pittsburgh and New York. Uh the best we can tell, he's going to be playing between Matt Cook and uh, Tyler Kennedy. So that'll be an interesting start for him. The question is, where do you put him in a talent-laden lineup? And I guess the contrast that I've seen between Pittsburgh and the Bruins is that Despite all their injuries, they keep rolling along, and they've won nine straight. And I think the injuries have really taken its toll on the Bruins.
0: In fact, I, I look at the job Dan Bylsma's has done with that team without Sidney Crosby, and I know he was coach of the year a year ago. They should give him the Jack Adams Trophy again. here, Ken Hitchcock this year.
1: Yeah, I think those are the two uh, that, that are right up there in my mind, and, and that's one of the rare things that we as broadcasters get to vote for. We get to, to pick first, second, third, five points, three points, one point, and those are two of my three right now, and the third I'm, I'm undecided on. But I think Bilesma is not only going to be coach of the year, uh, if, if he's if he second place to Hitchcock, I don't think he'll have any qualms about that because Dan's not that kind of guy, but I think he'll be the next Olympic coach if it winds up that NHL players go.
2: Mike, we've done a lot of talk on the Bruins this morning, especially in the wake of last night's disaster against Tampa Bay. We're talking about the local perspective on is it is it Tim Thomas's funk, is it Nathan Horton being out, Prevely being out, Tim Thomas not going to, the White House was even raised. W- what is a national perspective on the Bruins right now from where you sit?
1: I think it's the injuries. Um, you know, Tim Thomas was playing really well, and they were still losing games. I think that's what it's been. Not being able to put together three wins since late in December of last year is, is not really hanging on the goaltending, because the goaltending by Raskin Thomas was still strong enough to have the Bruins one of the top five teams defensively in the league during a long stretch of that time. So I think it, it, it can be hung there. And, you know, some teams are able to survive it, but I, I think the, the Bruins you know, they just don't have the same depth. And I've said this about other teams that when they are going through funks too, it's not a condemnation of the guys who are playing in Providence, but you make choices in September based on, everybody of course is healthy at that time, almost everybody, you make choices at that time based on the playing skills of the guys you have. And the guys that are sent to Providence are sent there to get better, and some get better faster. And. The guys that you assigned there back in the fall were assigned there for reasons that they didn't measure up to the NHL at that time. When you have to rely on them, they have to really hurry to get their skills to the NHL level. Some are able to do it, but when you have guys the caliber of Peverly and Horton that are out, that makes a huge difference in in your ability to go and your ability to play the kind of game that you do. Long-winded answer to say, I think you're going to hang on the injuries, because the goaltending was pretty good during a lot of that time.
0: Doc, this is the old, uh, should Andre Dawson have been MVP when he was playing for the Chicago Cubs argument? We saw Steven Stamkos score his 50th against the Bruins last night. Can a guy playing for a team that doesn't make the playoffs, if that's what happens to the Tampa Bay Lightning, be the MVP in the league?
1: Good question. Uh, you know, Mario was pretty close a couple of times. Um, but, yeah, it, it's a really good question, and it'll be left up to the Scribes to decide and, and not for us. It's an interesting debate that you have when, whenever you, you look at, at the playing skills of guys that, that Tampa Bay has. You know, why are they not better? Well, I guess they've had a funk, too, and they've had a pretty serious one. The difference in all of this, I think, is that you're not thinking of the Bruins missing the playoffs today, but you are Tampa. Why? Because the Bruins had that terrific November and December. I think Detroit has, not only over the last 20 years, they make the playoffs every year, but I think their scheduling is really smart. And I think part of the reason that they they do so well is they get their points early. Part of the reason they do is that they play a lot of home games, but more significantly, they don't play a lot of back-to-backs early. They don't have a lot of heavy travel early. They like their team to settle in and start winning games. And and I think the Bruins, um, during their November and and a good share of their December, did that. Those are the points that you don't have to get right now with three-and-a-half weeks left in the season. That everybody else is desperate to get. So look at the and you can you can rest, guys, if you need to, because you're not battling for survival every day.
2: How much time, in your opinion, does a player need when he comes back from a concussion? They're all different. I recognize that, but Nathan Horton hasn't even begun skating yet. So, given that he hasn't even begun skating, isn't it kind of a dubious thought to think that he's going to bounce back in the playoffs and help this team?
1: Yeah. I think it is because, as you said, uh, you know, if this were a skin disease or if it were an MCL, you could target it to the day. MCL, six months. Uh, if it were a skin disease, where well, you just watch its progression as it heals. But with concussions, it's two weeks, two days, two years. You just don't know. That's what's made it so difficult. And I think so trying for the penguins to, you know, agonize with this on a daily basis, at least in the media. Um, you know, when is he going to come back? Well, you, you just can't put a target on that. Uh, I wish you could because he would sure, sure help the Bruins.
0: Doc, you know how much fun it is to talk with Brendan Shanahan, and we had a great conversation with awesome. him yesterday here on, on Sports Radio because he's so much fun to talk to. And and, and I I've talked to him about this. I'm curious to get your take. Do you think the league, in the way they've administered justice, justice the suspensions to Marchand and Ferrence and Lucic and the Lucic hit of Ryan Miller, has taken some of the physical edge away from the Bruins and taken away one of their strengths from earlier in the season? Well,
1: I think that's happened with several teams, and the Bruins are one of them. But on the other hand, uh, we, we, can't, we cannot relegate this game to two-hand touch in football because nobody is going to want to pay to see it. The other side of it is that we do have to uh, – the, the hits that are with intent, not accidental – and wind up hurting, we do have to penalize. And I still think that games are far more important than money when it comes to assigning um, blame for something and punishing for something. I talked to a guy who had over 500 goals in the NHL, and I said, if you had the choice of paying a fine or sitting out a game or two, which would you take? He said, I have to wear a different colored jersey. I can't practice with my team. I may not make my goal-scoring bonuses. If I were told that I could write out a check for half a million dollars and escape a suspension, I'd write it right away.
2: Of course, you know the worst part about that is if you can't play, you have to sit with the sports writers. That's the ultimate indignity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and every once in a while, you guys want quotes while the game is on. I don't deny that. That's D- right. Doc,
2: hockey is the only sport where they humiliate the players who don't trust by making them sit with the sports writers. Every other, <laughs> sp- it's the only sport that yeah. does that.
1: In, in basketball know. You know, we have some unusual traditions that I guess are, are that way because they're that way. In basketball
2: and, in basketball, I'm sorry to interrupt. In basketball you get to wear a suit and sit right in the floor. Football you can wear a top coat and walk the sidelines. Baseball you're in the yeah. your box seat So, In hockey, you go up to level nine and sit with Steve Buckley and Steve Harris and Kevin DuPont. That'll show you.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I enjoy those conversations with you guys. I wouldn't mind sitting with you for a whole game. Trouble is, that would mean that I lose my job. Exactly.
0: <laughs> hey, Doc, I'm curious what your take is on the, the proposals that they're at least discussing at the general manager's meetings. I talked to Tuka Rask about this last night, the hybrid icing call that they're talking about. I would think there isn't a linesman in the NHL who thinks this is a good idea.
1: That's right. They don't, but because it forces them into making one more critical decision. <laughs> However, I think there, there are two things operating here, and I think we found a reasonable compromise if, it, if it's adopted. And that is we hate to see everybody just sort of wilt and not even bother going back for a puck because they know it's going to go over the line it's going to be icing. So that, that takes a little bit of the pizzazz away from the game. And I always liked the race, even though I hated the carnage that came from it sometimes. And, and guys' careers have ended on icing touch-ups before, so we don't want that. This represents a compromise where there's still a race on and where you can still have you know, the, the team that has shot the puck down the ice still get there first and wipe out the icing. And the decision is made at the circle, which means it's going to probably prevent all of those heavy collisions because you've got some time to adjust to the decision. So I'm in favor of it, but we have heaped more and more on the linesmen and on the referees in the last 10 years or so with all of these various changes that they have the decisions to make. And I'm just amazed that there are guys that are still willing to want to do it.
0: With the preponderance of concussion issues in the league, I know they're at least discussing the possibility of putting the red line back in. Uh, they've talked about the compromise issue of putting the ringette line at the top of the circles, and you have to be outside that line before you can make the two-line pass. Do you think they're ultimately going to change this?
1: I hope not, but I, I understand what's behind it, and I understand that we can't have 66 or maybe it's now 67 guys out with concussions during the course of the season. We opened up the, the whole ice surface so there'd be more speed and more fun, and for the fans it's been a much better game, I think, than it was before. Um, the, the the knee-jerk reaction I have is if we start putting those those things back in, are we going to wind up with more trapping teams? I remember Bobby Clark, whose team got beaten out by the Devils a couple of times when he was general manager, talked one night about the Devils and the trap. And he said it's not the Devils because when they had it in in 2000 and they knocked us out of the playoffs, they had one of the highest scoring teams in the league. The trouble is that everybody else that couldn't score, copied it, and it dragged the game down. And I agree with him. That's exactly what happened. If we go back to that and we have 10 to 15 teams doing it again, I think it will take the emphasis out of our game and, and the excitement and, and a, lot of, you know, a lot of the speed that we have. But I grew up as much as I grew at all at 5.7 in Indiana. <laughs> and we, have this, we still have the 2.5-mile oval, and they still have time trials, and they still have the race on Memorial Day. And when I was in high school... It was a long time ago. Um, a good time was 140 miles an hour. That was a good time. You could make the top 33 with that. Now, we have the same oval, and the speeds are way up there. And, and uh, a qualifying speed is now, what, in the 170s, 180s, something like that. So if we were going to do anything, and I realize how hard this is with all the various arenas, I think we ought to add a couple of feet across, maybe three. But, uh, you know, easy to say, hard to do. I don't know the structures of these arenas and whether the ice surface is already there, enough ice to do that. I think that's the one thing that could make the big difference.
0: Doc, do you think that the NHL players will be in in Russia for the Olympics?
1: Today, it's a tough answer for me to give because there's so much that has to go on behind behind closed doors between now and then. I'd say 50-50 today. Uh, hopefully I can give you a better answer by later on in the playoffs this year on how I think it's going to go. But I think there are some other issues besides that that are going to be shot across the bow issues over the course of the summer. And we might go right up into the middle of September when this thing technically expires before we know one way or the other. I think there will be an awful lot of discussion during the summertime. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a great optimist when it comes to having this done by the middle of September, but that's just the way I feel today. That's just a feeling. I don't know.
0: Final question, uh, there are some some brighter hockey minds than mine, guys like Brian, but not Burke, many. And Bri- like Brian Burke and Lou Morello, who think that there's the very real possibility of, a, of another lockout. Do you agree?
1: There's certainly that possibility, yes. I will give you that. And I think in terms of, a, as I said, 50-50 on the Olympics, but I think that's one of the one of the events that they're going to be discussing, and it'll probably be on the back burner. The players are thoroughbreds. They're like horses at Rockingham. All they mm-hmm. want to do is compete. And you throw down a puck over in Sochi, or you throw it down at Madison Square Garden, doesn't make any difference. Once the puck drops, they compete. But I can understand why the owners don't want to yield their assets for 17 straight days with the risk of losing them over there. And so I can understand both sides of the argument. But it's going to play second fiddle to two or three other things that are going to come up between now and the time this CBA gets finished. Yeah, there's a realistic possibility. And yeah, I think we might be you know, negotiating this thing into the fall, whether we'll miss games or not, I just can't say.
0: Doc, it's always fun to talk hockey with you. Thank you so much.
1: Yeah, and, then, and lean in on those inside curveballs like Stump Merrill saw you.
0: If I could lean in on the inside curveballs, I might have been able to play longer than I did. That's the problem. <laughs> Thanks,
1: Doc. That's one of my favorite stories. And and for, for those of you who are listening that, have, that don't know the connection between Dale Arnold and Stump Merrill, maybe in one of those commercial breaks, when you come out about 30 seconds before you introduce somebody else, you can tell the story.
2: Thanks, Doc. See you later, okay, Mike. My... Be good, guys. Have good a good talk one. Talk to you, Steve. See you.
0: That is uh, Doc Emmerich, a superb play-by-play voice for NBC Sports. Has, uh, he used to be the voice of the Devils for a long, long time. In fact, they just had a ceremony honoring him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but he has gone on to the national stage and has had to leave the Devils games behind, was the former voice of the Philadelphia
2: Flyers as well. And wrote the foreword to my first book
0: and wrote the forward to Steve Buckley's first book which which, was is, which Mar- is the real reason that Mar- we wanted to have
2: him on. Marinomania. No, the real reason was Marinomania. The real reason I wanted I wanted to hear the Stump Merrill story. Oh, Stump. Stump uh, Stump was, was from our, you, right? from our area, yeah. you know, from Brunswick, topsom
0: yeah. And and made it to AAA, made it as far as Reading, AAA. But, you know, for people in our area in Maine, that's a pretty big deal to make mm-hmm. it that far. And uh, San
2: Diego Sixty, I think San Diego Padres, the Triple A Padres.
0: I don't know. I I, I know he yeah. played in Reading too, yeah. but um, he he coached, uh, managed. Uh, is the, I don't know if you'd say coached at that level. American Legion ball in Maine and all that stuff. And and the 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 talk is that, and Doc always, frankly, embellishes it when he tells it. But the whole idea was, you know, Stump Merrill and I had a discussion one time about about whether or not I could continue to play beyond you know the rather meager baseball player that I was. And he said, Well, Dale, you could probably field in the major leagues today. You could run in the major leagues today, but I don't think you'll ever hit in the major leagues. You'd probably, you know, spend your career riding around the minor leagues on a bus. So I became a broadcaster and spent seven years riding around the minor leagues on a bus.
2: <laughs> Not sure that that was such a good career path for me, but it was probably the, the right one. San Diego term. AAA, 1968. No, there you go. Oh, there no. he is. I'm. I'm he didn't um, play for Reading, I thought he, he did. did. But I didn't want to embarrass you, but Reading was always a double A. Oh, okay. I, Joe Busis owned the team. Gotcha. I know that. No, you I feel am free to I embarrass me. I am a wacko when it comes to minor league baseball, Peter. I know you are. Did you read the Roger Kahn book about the Utica Blue Sox? I did, in fact. In fact, I got an email from Roger Kahn about two weeks ago, if you can believe that. Wow. Like nine <laughs> Chuck- years old you say. Um, Steve, book, Buckley, Steve Buckley, baseball
0: whisperer. <laughs> we got to take a quick break. Right back in just a moment. Sports Radio, WEEI.
1: For Eddie Olchek, Pierre Maguire, Mike Milbury, Keith Jones, and Dan Patrick. For the Adamses, John, John Q, and Sam. The Tunnels, Williams and Callahan,
0: Dennis and Callahan. Ageless milch who waved the flag. Doc Emmerich saying goodnight from Boston.